I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. Today, I want to welcome Michelle Raz. She is an accomplished entrepreneur, author, and highly sought-after coach, specializing in ADHD and executive functioning skills that equates to academic and professional success. As the co-founder and uh, coaching director of Thrivistor, an innovative edtech company, she and her partner are pioneering an online academic coaching uh, platform specifically designed to empower neurodivergent high school and college students. This is a curriculum of her experience in the ADHD coaching industry, which began in 2010. She serves on the board of directors for a nonprofit promoting ADHD support for financially challenged students. Michelle's overarching mission is to uncover the extraordinary gem inherent in each individual she encounters, intending to ignite a ripple effect of transformation and empowerment for all. Michelle, yeah. welcome. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. So, um, wow, that's uh, that's a mouthful. There's a, a, a lot there to uncover. Uh, <laughs> let's let's kind of go back. I mean, where where did you grow up? Um, what where yeah, where did you grow up? What was childhood like? Yeah, um, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and um, from uh, a family that is very deep rooted and in the um, city of Portland founding books of uh, Swiss dairy farmers back in the day. Wow. And um, and where where are you now? Currently, I'm in Northern California, but um, I am a digital nomad, and so I will straddle between Colorado, NorCal, and Oregon. So you, you grew up in Portland, and, and before we got on, you, you told me a little bit about your dad. You said your, your dad um, worked on the Columbia River or, or something like that? Yeah, he was um, an interesting guy that was um, brilliant and came up with an idea to um, break into a hundred year old traditional tug and barge operation on the river, which is extremely hard to do. And he muscled his way in there. There was lots of articles in the paper about the, the crazy maverick that was doing this and, and how he got there was an incredible story of um, self-made um, uh, taking a boat from the uh, city of Portland fire um, fire boats that went out and put out fires and converted it into a tug boat. And then, got um, barges and and muscled his way in there with some contracts and ended up um, getting some contracts and being able to beat out the old dudes on the river because uh, his boat was the fastest being an old fire boat. So he was able to carve a niche and get in um, where it was a really, really uh, hard, um, hard thing to do back then. 
So the, these barges are moving supplies up and down the river? Yes, he was hauling wheat from Idaho. So he was able with this teeny tiny fast boat, go way up to uh, way up in Idaho, get the wheat and then bring it down to Portland. And then um, his contracts were in Japan at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and and why was that, you know, why was that so closed off? I mean, that seems pretty simple. Buy a boat, tug a barge, make a living. Well, there were a few namesake companies that had been around for a very, very, very long time. And uh, to be able to obtain the um, boat, the barges, the contracts, find the wheat that hadn't already been tied up with these companies, um, it's a feat. I'm not sure that anybody's done it since then. I, I'd love to know, actually. Huh. I, I guess I'm a little bit confused. What I mean, what what are what are the barriers? Um, you know, I, you know. So a lot of the people listening are entrepreneurs, and mm-hmm. you know, their their you know DNA is they see barriers, they knock barriers down. Um, what were the unique barriers that he ran into? Well, I, I think you know, I was quite young when he started the company. As a matter of fact, I used to be dragged around to meetings with him when I was about five years old. I was negotiating contracts with Japan. Um, and so when you have to find your, you know, the buyer and then um, going with him on trips, you know, looking for wheat um, farmers that would be able to, that didn't already have a contract. And so going and finding those and, and then, um, then having space and timing on the river, there's so many barges and tugboats on the river that you can go up and getting the licensing. It was, um, it was something that, you um, you needed to have contacts and relationships and um it, there was there was a lot of barriers for him and then his personality um was a bit of a barrier as well uh, in what way um well he um he was a strong personality and that he was brilliant and would come up with ideas when people could not um you know find a way to do something and he would find ways to do it and he was very innovative um, but the way he went about things was a little unconventional, which is the precipice of how I ended up doing what I do today is um, at a very young age, I was um, many times understanding his perspective on things, but it wasn't always a match the way people heard him. And I would hear that and see it and witness it as a child. Um, and so throughout my life, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't pinpoint it was. I knew he was brilliant and he was capable. I mean, he actually had an IQ of 165 um, oh, because wow. he got in so much trouble in his youth. They had they sent him and had him dusted and that's what he came back with. Um, but he really struggled um, dealing with people, common people, as he would say. Um, and he um, you couldn't do small talk and, and just a whole level of... Um, interactions that made it difficult to to be around him but yet people admired him and respected him and um he had brilliant ideas but he just had a way of delivering them that was non-conventional can you put some teeth on that what's what's let's go back to the 1970s okay so we're talking about a whole different culture back then as well um and so he, um, you know, and today what we call that is this, is that um, many of us have um, met people that say things inappropriately, they don't have filters, 
um, the, the way they approach things is unconventional and it makes you feel uncomfortable. Today, we have labels for that and not to label them, but actually an understanding and we have a terminology and then we have ways to help those people because psychology has come so far along since the 70s and people's stories have come forward. And I truly believe if, if he was still alive today, um, he would be somebody that um, would be able to speak on this topic. Um, but today we, we, we look at people that um, most definitely he had ADHD. Um, you might find somebody on the spectrum that is brilliant, who's um, twice exceptional. Um, this is a guy at 10 years old that was able to take apart a Model T Ford and put it back together for a $10 bet at 10 years old. I mean, we're talking like just one of those IQs or is just beyond. Um, but he also got kicked out of high school because he had an impulsive behavior of riding a motorcycle down the hallway of the entire high school and going outside and, and you know, flipping off the, the principal. <laughs> so he got booted right out of there. And that's when he got a psych report done. Um, so his behavior was impulsive. It was unique. Um, he used to do drag races outside of the city of Portland and told the police, I've got this completely under control. We've got everything mastermind with safety in mind and who's coming and is regulated. And this was his mentality, but he just didn't follow the rules. <laughs> um, but it was perfectly orchestrated if he would have gotten the proper licensings in place. So he was unconventional, but um, you know, like I said, in the paper in the seventies, they termed him the maverick. It, it just very unconventional. Huh. So how, how long did he um, run barges up and down the Columbia river? Yeah. Until he um, passed. So he did end up having an injury and taking his own life. So um, that really impacted me. I mean, obviously growing up with somebody like that in my childhood did, but at young age of 26 years old to witness that and see all of his trials and tribulations and then successes. It was just a hard journey for him, you know, left an impact on me where I had empathy for that person that is brilliant, capable, but they're misunderstood. And then maybe they have shame because of their weaknesses that they tried to hide. And, and for him, some of his weaknesses would come out in anger or, um, you know, just pushing through, um, and things without a proper um, following sequences. He was always taking shortcuts on things. And so um, that, so after that, um, I was not at a, a, a age where I could run the company. And so we ended up selling it. Um, unfortunately, you know, that's, that would be a regret. I think nowadays at 26, I, I didn't have the capacity, but what it did is it left a, a mark on me as I, you know, over the years analyzed who he was, what he was able to accomplish and um, applied that um, in, in my work today. And then my daughter who um, was born was actually diagnosed. This is when I got to learn about ADHD. And I really started to dig into these different types of mental illnesses um, and diagnosis um, through the DSM at the time four. And it, all the dots connected for me. And I under, and people would come, come to me for advice for things. And I wondered, you know, I, I started to reflect on how I was that person that came to is because I had a lifetime of this witnessing these people and championing behind them and knowing that they had these successes in them hidden, but how to get those out 
And I was always had advice for people and I would be upset when people didn't take the advice. So with my uh, own dog, I could. Yeah, do let, yeah. Uh, let me pause real quick. So you threw sure. out a phrase uh, DSMV4. Oh, sorry. That's a mental health, uh, mental wellness um, uh, manual for all the um, diagnoses. And so ADHD is in there, autism, um, anxiety, depression. So it's a medical um, book that so you people use for your diagnosis. Yeah. So it's kind of like a encyclopedia of mental disorders. Yeah. And then they change it quite a bit. Like I think we're on five now. And so as we learn about things, um, that's what the medical field uses. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks. All right. Yes. So uh, yeah, no, please continue. So that, so anyway, that, I, I mean, what the, the, um, I'm still kind of reeling from that. I mean, that just had to be traumatic from so many angles. I mean, one, I'm just so incredibly so sad that you lost your dad that way. Yeah. Thank you. It was a tough time at 26 years old. It, it definitely set me back. And um, at the time, uh, it just, um, I was living in Colorado and I went on a lot of hikes. I, I've hiked 14, 14ers in my life. And I think I hiked quite a bit in those first few years and a lot of um, just retrospection and what I wanted to do and what, you know, where I fit, what were my strengths in life? Because that was the thing is I think throughout my life, I always um, champion, you know, you champion behind your family, right? Your parents and you know what they're really good at and, and you're loyal to them. And so I was loyal to him, but I also was wise and knew he was troubled. He had a lot of troubles along the way. Um, and so now it was due to an injury. Um, it was actually, he shattered his temporal area and injury. And he wasn't, he was such a strong being. He wasn't going to go through the testing. In fact, he made it to one round of testing and didn't make it to the second round of testing. Um, but um, the impact it had on me is um, knowing one that you, if you set your mind to something, you can do it. And that was one thing you could take away from him. Um, I don't know if I can, um, you know, he, <laughs> He just had this, these very strong opinions about, um, don't ever say no. I couldn't, as a child, I couldn't say can't, I can't, that just was not in the vocabulary. Um, and so I, I carried that through that with my own children. Um, and then when my daughter was diagnosed with ADHD, um, of course I championed for her strengths and she has amazing strengths. Um, but at the time we didn't know. And so I started really diving into what, what, what was this ADHD? How, what, how come nobody knows about it? Nobody can help. Um, but I know her strengths. And so I used to say your own um, best advocate is yourself for yourself, for your student, for, for your kid. And that's what drove me with her to really dig in with that. And then I'll just kind of go on with her. So I was able to obviously grow up with this empathy, um, I was able to reflect on this man that was a maverick and, and amazing in his capabilities, but what could he have been? How much more could he have been? Um, and if he could have had the right support around him. And so I looked at my daughter the same way saying, what kind of support can she have to be the best she can be? I used to say her to her, we had horses and whatnot, and we were, we were in, um, you know, 4-H and Jim Con and all these different things in Colorado growing up. And I say, you know, hit yourself, hit your wagon to a star, just constantly do that. And that's what I say to my clients, whether you're a corporate client or um, in the academic coaching client, be the best you can be. And, and with the right support in place, 
you can live your life to the fullest potential you have, which brought me to how I wrote my book, Happiness, Passion, and Purpose, because um, people say, well, I don't know, where do I start? What do I do? And, and so then that kind of rolled into writing a book. And, and so now I, I'm just immersed in the field of helping people, which the terminology neurodivergent comes up. Yeah. And what's that mean? Okay. So the, the clientele, and I would say my father was neurodivergent. My daughter is neurodivergent. And you could say, well, gosh, we're all neurodivergent. Here's the difference. A neurotypical person, we all have our normal ups and downs in life, right? The neurotypicals ups and downs are, are, are smaller waves. The neurodivergents are really good at something. And then when they're not, they're not. And so it, and it impacts their ability to live their life to the fullest, to interact on a daily basis. And so through that, they either get rejected, they are misunderstood, they, if they're in a job, they can get fired, demoted, or overlooked for a promotion. If you are a C-suite person, which I work one-on-one -on -one with a lot of C-suite people, um, and they're, they feel like they're faking it. And it's all they can do to show up to put that mask on for their job. And then they go home and they're either working at home because their weaknesses is that, you know, they were hiding those weaknesses at work and they have to do it at home. Um, or they, they come home and they're just exhausted, which feeds into the, their mental wellness, um, to either be putting a mask on at work or feeling that they are not good enough. They missed that deadline. They forgot that meeting. They're disorganized. They, um, prioritize the wrong thing. They went down a rabbit hole and we all have those typical, those um, tendencies from time to time when we have stressors in life or not feeling good, but the neurodivergence um, person that is truly, you know, has an, an official diagnosis, um, it's more extreme. So one of the things that strikes me as, as I'm listening, you know, we, you know, and leaders and legacies, we're really focused on a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, a lot of people who uh, run their own business. And one of the traits I know is common amongst them is, um, and I don't know if I'm, I don't know if they'd be classified as neurodivergent, but I know that a lot of business owners are disproportionately, um, let's just say they don't fit in the standard bucket. And I mean, I'll even give an example. Are you familiar with a company called 1-800-GOT-JUNK? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's run by Brian Skidamore and, um, He's a son of attorneys. And as you can imagine, it was quite the uh, disappointment to his attorney father when Brian dropped out of school. And he went off and bought a dumpy old pickup truck mm -hmm. and uh, started hauling junk. But it turns out that he's dyslexic and he yeah. didn't understand that. And he just couldn't thrive in the school environment. And so, and now, 1-800-GUT-JUNK, I'm not sure exactly where they are. If if they haven't crossed the billion-dollar mark, they're getting close to it. Oh, congratulations out there. Yay. Wow. <laughs> but I would imagine there's a number of people listening mm -hmm. that kind of resonate with what you're saying. Do you, Have you seen this common amongst entrepreneurs? Absolutely, 100%. I just started smiling when you said that because I was like... Whoever you, you could have been my client. You could still be my client today out there. Yes. And, and that's the thing is that um, these people don't fit the mold. Dyslexia is another, you know, avenue. The clients that I've worked with, um, 
either, you know, a lot of them will come in as dyslexic um, or late adults diagnosed ADHD. They just found out they're autistic. You know, they've been functioning and now they're 45 years old, 50 years old and realize, wow, I'm on the spectrum. And I'm like, so, so what we do is we talk about how, how did you manage that through your life? What did that feel like? And here's the thing. If you get the diagnosis early and you get the intervention early, you know, it's like, what do you do then? Okay. So what I know it, but then you get to understand how you, what is your strength? So what was the strength that came out of being dyslexic for this guy, the story weight hunter got junk. What is that strength? And you feed on that. And then where are the challenges? And, and I'll tell you what happens so much with the clients that come to me that are adults with this is over the years, they've had to um, create their own strategies to be successful. And through those, working through those strategies become strengths that can actually probably help them be successful. But the, the damage in the self-esteem along the way is substantial. And um, I think that is it like, I know like an ADHD, it's something like 30 something percent higher risk of um, drug abuse and um, suicide tendencies um, because of the cumulative, you know, probably cumulative, um, you know, I would say PTSD in this, in the way of just the shame and, and not fitting in and just having to, you know, the, the fitting a round hole in the square box thing. And, and then finally they get up on their own and somehow some of them make it and they figure it out, but so many don't. Um, and so, and if they do figure it out, they're struggling while they're figuring it, it takes them twice as long to do something. Um, they are constantly forgetting things. And so this is when my program comes in and it is proven to work. My clients stay with me for a long time when they do find me and they're like, wow, oh my gosh. Um, so yes, what you're saying is so true. So many entrepreneurs out there, you know, my father being an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been, I've, I've never really had a conventional job. I, uh, you know, I think maybe five years of my life, um, but, and my daughter is an entrepreneur now. She's now a very successful adult. She barely graduated high school. She went to college. That wasn't for her. She dropped out. She got an associate degree. She's a, an amazing um, entrepreneur now or who just won an award in the town she lives in for being the best in her profession. Um, you know, so how did that come about? Well, you know, I was championing behind her, telling her to hitch her wagon to a star that you are you know, really focusing on the strengths. And she also, you know, struggles in some areas like in math. And so I'm like, in this day and age, who cares about math? You're going to, you know, use your bookkeeper, use the digital assets. And so that's what it's about is um, really focusing on what your assets are, what, what it is. And don't worry about what you can't do. Get rid of the word can't. And let's find a strategy to go around that. And um, so when you look at that, when we talk about people that we work with, like a lot of entrepreneurs will have a lot of emotional regulation issues. A lot of it's kind of that baggage from the past. It's, it's frustrating and not being able to do something the way they, their brain knows it needs to be done. They're brilliant people. And that's the thing is that I, I was really advocating, you know, through my dad, I'm like, brilliant, but you're not successful in certain areas, you know, because of these challenges around you know, whether it's ADHD or autism or dyslexic, um, but that's okay because we have some root strategies to help you with that. You know, I heard something years ago that in Silicon Valley, 
a common practice was microdosing LSD. <laughs> and and they they did it. It wasn't something they were doing recreationally. It was something they were doing because they felt they had to just to be able to perform in their job. Oh, yeah. Does, was that by any chance, does that resonate with things that you've seen as a way of trying to cope with skills? Because, I mean, Silicon Valley, I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot of ADD in that world. I think, it, you know, it naturally draws some of those traits. I'm just laughing at you because I'm actually going there tomorrow <laughs> because they have a big pitch event. And I've been going there because, you know, I have RAS coaching, which is my corporate coaching and, and whatnot. Um, and then I have Thrivester, which I, um, you know, help I'm founder, I'm co-founder of that. And anyway, trying to um, look for investors. But anyway, so I've been going there looking for investors with that. And the first time I went there, I was like, oh, I've gone home. I love these people. I love the energy because that's what I deal. That's what I'm around. And so whether they are or they aren't, I'm like, you guys are awesome. You're the ones with the great ideas, changing the world. And hey, you all could use my services. I can help you with your business. So here's my card. Uh, no, um, but back to your point, that's just ironic that I'm literally going there tomorrow. Um, you know, these people tend to think out of the box anyway. They probably don't need um, a microdose, but I've certainly heard of people, their staff taking it to get into a creative thinking mode. Um, and so and if, if there was any place on earth, it might be Austin, Portland, and Silicon Valley. <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm stereotyping. Um, no, I, I don't run into that a lot. And the professionals that work with me, um, they would be, it would be a safe place to tell me that they were doing that. Um, but I'm not hearing that. Um, usually the people that are working with me don't, they have some kind of um, addiction that they might be also working with and um, they really want to focus on their careers. And so we might have a piece of a coaching around that accountability around that because I'm, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychiatrist. Um, but I can hold them accountable to what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and then we we do a lot with the corporate um, and helping them think. And that's the thing is that a lot of the people that I work with have these amazing ideas and they can, and I help them harness them. Um, and I, what I say to people, and I don't want to run over here too much as I could go on forever, is that um, you have a tree. We each have our own tree in life. So these great ideas you have, does that feed your tree? Is that going to make your tree this big, beautiful, massive tree? Or are you just going to have a bunch of seedlings everywhere? And so I, my job is to help harness these amazing ideas and then show them the steps they need to take to get to it, whether it be expanding the business, going up a promotion, maintaining the job so you don't get fired, um, or an entrepreneur that wants to grow a business. Um, helping them stay true to their own tree root system that's going to you know really grow. So um, I use that analogy a lot. Um, hmm. so. <laughs> I, this is all so fascinating. I, um, I, unfortunately, we kind of need to wrap up, but yeah. <laughs> let me ask this. If, if there was somebody listening that resonated mm -hmm. with what you were saying, what are... What would be the first three steps that you recommend they take on their own? And then obviously, you know, we're going to recommend that they reach out to you. But for somebody <laughs> that's... start with that. <laughs> no. But somebody that, you know, yeah. there, there are people that are like, I don't know. You know, they if somebody resonates with what you're saying, what would be three things that you would have mm -hmm. them do, you know, mm -hmm. tomorrow? 
Yeah. So if you're that person out there and you've got great ideas and you're all over the place and you've got a notebook just full of ideas or papers everywhere with ideas and nothing ever comes of it, I would say to you, use your computer. I love Google Keeps <laughs> and because that's one, one piece. So get organized in it with your thoughts and put it in one place. And then look at those and, and then find out what is your passion? What, what do you, what, what aligns with who you are and excites you? What, what resonates with your mind? Hey, I can make a lot of money with this, this part. Oh my God, I've always wanted to do it in your gut. Oh, this feels like it's me. And then if you can hone in on that and you can narrow it down to all these different ideas, then the third thing is have somebody hold you accountable. So find what it is, make a plan because these people I work with are brilliant and they can, they know how to, you know, the plans, but then hold yourself accountable. Okay. And obviously if somebody wanted to reach out to you, how do, how do they find you? Sure. Um, I'm on LinkedIn in a big way. I, I post a lot. So go look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I think it's coach Michelle Raz, um, but you know, or email me Michelle at razcoaching.com. All right. Well, Michelle, this has been absolutely amazing. And I think valuable again, you know, our, our audience is entrepreneurs and I I'm sure there are people listening that this really resonates with. And I just yeah. want to thank you for being on leaders and legacies. Well, thank you so much. And, and always remember, don't say can't you can. <laughs> This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com uh, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.